Blog Talk Radio. I have an emergency. What is your location? Yes, good morning, and indeed there is. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for this very beautiful day. We thank you, Lord, that you are God, that you are good, that you are in control, that you know the hearts of men. Lord God, you know our situations. You know what we're up against. You know that you have given us your word. And Lord, I pray today that you give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to receive, and submit to your word, and not the words of so many that speak and chatter in our ears and and, uh, put pressure on us to do this or that or join them or, or come up against this or whatever we are in, compelled to do. Father, that we go back to your word and look and see the foundations that you have laid for unity and the foundations you've made for, separate, for separating from uh, things that are not pleasing to you. I pray, Lord God, that we speak today as the oracles of God. I thank you that you'd anoint our understanding. I thank you, Jesus, that you've also promised us that no weapon formed against us will prosper that no word said, no deed done, no action taken will be able to be used by the enemy to bring forth any shame, trouble, reproach, um, or destruction. Lord God, I thank you that you hinder, you, you hinder the works of darkness on our behalf. You've given us an assignment, Lord God, and I ask that you cause us to all come into the unity of rightly dividing your holy word according to your Holy Spirit as we look into your scriptures this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, guess Amen. what? We got somebody here with us today. Where have you been? The roving host has returned. I've been yeah. out roving, but I'm here today. <laughs> all right. Do we even ask where you've all been? Yes, no, not no. But anyway, we have a very interesting topic today, honey, and I think that you've got a lot to say about this as well. It, the question is, staying in or getting out, um, are we in this day and age right now where we're at, are we promoting or uh, being pushed into promoting unity um, in the in the in the earth with each other at the expense of truth, and so we're going to examine um, how to navigate through those kinds of situations and uncomfortable, hostile, social um, situations in this day. So, what do you want to say about well, that? Well, let's look at the foundation of unity. There's power of, in unity. Cur- yeah, correct. Uh, there's power in unity, whether it's a uh, a sports team, a marriage, a, a church, a nation, a family. There's great power in unity. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you think of back in Genesis chapter 11, you know, when they built the Tower of Babel, the earth was of one language. Mm-hmm. They were going to build this one tower and they were going to make us a name. We're going to do this big enterprise. Mm-hmm. They were united in an evil, rebellious purpose. And well, God brought division among them by separating the languages. So they said if if they're Together like this, if they keep unified in this evil purpose, there's nothing that's really going to stop them except God. So God God put the kibosh to it. It's interesting that both God and Satan use use the divide and conquer method, so to to speak, because Satan was pushing for unity at that point uh, and to divide them from God. And God had to use the divide method to, to protect them from themselves. Sometimes now it's interesting how Satan twists things around. Sometimes he um, he promotes this unity. Uh, of, you know, he divides us against ourselves, sets us up in opposition, sets us up in war and strife and bitterness and battle. He sets up distinctions like male versus female, or white versus black, or colored versus this or that, or race color, whatever. He sets up these distinctions to cause us to create a difference and reject each other based on a difference. And and now. Now he's flipped the tables and he's trying to get everybody to come together in some global endeavor to unite. But he wants, again, it's a Tower of Babel thing, I think, again, isn't it? Or he wants to unite against God. Right. Well, Jesus said a house divided against itself cannot stand. Mm-hmm. So there we have, you mentioned about there's a, a globalist movement, and we'll talk about that a little bit mm-hmm. more later. But just this one world uh, unity is the word that's used world peace we all work together to have this uh this new world order Mm 
Absolutely. And actually, there is a true new world order that God is going to bring in. Mm-hmm. But in the meantime, now we're hearing mostly about this new uh, world order that the the enemy is creating. But we don't see him as an enemy. We see this as a contrived. We see this as a, as the only solution to terror and war and pain. And so Satan created so much par- pain and terror not, that, that he's now enticing us to come together to be nice to one another. And it's, it's interesting how he is u- using that unity as a method of bringing us into complete destruction and also passive agreement. Now, you can understand what that is a little more if we just break it down. What are you passively agreeing with by staying involved in something or united to something that you don't morally agree with or that doesn't morally agree with the Bible? Um, you know, maybe, maybe say, you know, uh, things that you permit just because you don't resist them. The Bible says, submit to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee. And one of the big buzzwords these days is diversity, um, that we have all these differences, but we still can all be together. There's an element of truth there, mm-hmm. because like in the, in the further example in the body of Christ, unity does not mean uniformity. First Corinthians 12, it talks about all the different uh, ministries and functions and parts of the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. There's, they're different. They're, they're motivated by one spirit working together mm-hmm. for the purposes of God. So the spirit of God is for unity, but unity based on the truth, not based on the pseudo truth or the counterfeits that look like the truth. I'm thinking of Ephesians chapter four, where he says, therefore, I, therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you to walk worthy have a walk worthy of the calling with which you were called with all lowliness and gentleness with long suffering bearing with one another in love this doesn't sound like what we're admonished to do today it's it's compete and cheat and get ahead and whatever you got to do but he says verse three endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace so you're, it's the same thing you're talking about. There's one body, there's one spirit, you're called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. And isn't it amazing that this one God, everybody is killing one another in the name of this one God. I shouldn't say everybody, but many of the wars, almost all of the wars have been religious wars. I mean, there's also another element, you know, you've got maybe greed or money or finances or economic advantages or whatever people are doing to steal people's land or whatever. But bottom line is they all say, well, we're doing this for God. And but the Holy Spirit truly is a spirit of unity, but not the unity that we're being uh, misled into believing. The unity that comes from Christ comes from our being united together in his death, in his you know, we actually, our unity begins with death. Satan's unity ends with death. Right. Well, in Christ is where we have our unity. Right. You know, Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, if you read through that, talks about our our unity in Christ. We are in Christ. It's not just, we talk about oftentimes a relationship with Christ, not a religion, but a relationship with Christ. Well, Ephesians talks about we are in Christ. There's a oneness with him. And if there's a oneness with him, if, he, if you and I have a oneness with Christ, there'll be a oneness with each other. Mm-hmm. And so, and, and that's what we are to preserve, the unity of the Spirit, in the, bond. the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. in the bond of peace. We, we, well, I'll look in Ephesians further, honey. It says, um, let me see if I can read that to you. Second, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11, it says, um, and this is kind of the whole work of the cross, we don't think about this every day. We don't think about this as very important. I mean, you don't, this doesn't become part of your table conversation at mealtime, if indeed you have a mealtime anymore. But anyway, uh, he says in 2, 11 through 14, therefore, remember that you once, Gentiles in the flesh, you, uh, who were called the uncircumcised, so he's talking about by those who were called circumcised, there was already a distinction between the Jew, the Gentile, the circumcised, the accepted, the beloved, da, 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 whatever. That at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise or the covenants of God, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ, you who once were far off have been made near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. He's the peace who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of division between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity or war, that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, 
so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. And in that he reconciled them both to God in one body through the cross, therefore putting to death the enmity. So the war, the pain, the division, the confusion, the conflict that was set up between Jew, Gentile, uh, and, and, you know, he goes on further to say, you know, now there's neither male nor female, there's neither bond nor free or slave or, 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 or rich man, poor man, this sort of thing. We're all one in Christ Jesus. So there is no appearance and distinctive appearances in us in that anymore because we come together in the death of Christ. Faith in Christ and the death, resurrection, death, burial and resurrection and exaltation of Jesus Christ. That's that is our, our, our source of unity. And of course, back in the Old Testament, there was a distinctiveness among God's people. He told them, he said, you're a holy nation. Mm-hmm. You're a separate people. nation, a, a separate people, a distinct people unto me. So he separated them that they might stay unified with one another and with him. Right. And so it's very interesting in this world of, that there's, it's, it's, it's understandable why people can get very confused because there's actually two forces working against each other. They both use kind, you know, they both use the United the idea of uniting here. Satan wants to unite us against God. God wants to bring us into unity, the unity, the bond of peace and love where there is now therefore no longer strangers or foreigners or fellow, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. The Lord's whole purpose is not just to keep, as it was in the Old Testament, the Jews separate, but actually to open up the, the, the opportunity for everybody, Jew, Gentile, whatever, to come into the family of God, the fellowship of God, that we will no longer be alienated from him. The purpose of the separation was to preserve the nation mm-hmm. and even to preserve the DNA so that the Savior could come. That's right. Uh, so that's one of the um, yeah. purposes of that. And it was not. It was a temporary. They were called not just to be distant. And what happened, and you, you see it in the days of Jesus, he was ministering here on earth. The Jews had gotten to a place where they had they'd gotten so many, they'd added so many religion, uh, religious rituals and practices to ensure their separation. They, to trust in themselves that they were righteous and they despised others. Right. So instead of being a light to the Gentiles, mm-hmm. they were despising the Gentiles. They were considering them dogs. They were mm-hmm. unclean. Mm-hmm. And they, they were, Israel was to be a beacon but this, for the other nations of the world. And this is why what the devil did to try to uh, bring reproach to the people of God. He caused them to become an act self-righteous or exclusive and in that they shunned and, and, and uh, you know, rejected the Gentiles. And in that, then the, reject, the Gentiles rejected them. And so that was not a unity based on death and based on the death of Jesus Christ, the cross, bringing us into that. So the only people who come into real, true unity are those who have died and no longer live to themselves, but they live unto God. Um, and, you know, like, for example, in Second Corinthians chapter 5, we see the bottom line here. And you say, well, what, what is this? Are we supposed to live together, not together? How can we, we be separate? You know, we're all, it says in, it says in uh, 2 Corinthians 5, um, we're all going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That's the bottom line. Knowing this, therefore, um, that we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good, good or bad. So we're, we're considered the body of Christ, but members individually. And so we can be part of the body of Christ and part B, that means to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love his heart, his desires. Keep his one commandment, which now is to love one another. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And all the law is fulfilled in this, that you love one another. So the bottom line is we have to all appear to give account whether we're going to stay joined to the harlot to the, the gods of this world, to Baal, uh, and then be connected uh, through the cords of, well, you can't judge them. You have to love them. You have to go along with this. It's very difficult, but bottom line is the Holy Spirit has a way and an answer and a solution through the Word of God. Let me go back to Psalm 133, verse 1. The psalmist writes, 
Behold how good and pleasant it is when brethren dwell together in unity. Mm-hmm. So there is a unity in those of you that are listening today. In peace. You think of when there's unity in a family, there's a oneness of heart, even though there's dif- diversity of gifts and abilities and ages and experiences. When there's a oneness, when we're, we're, we're different, but we're working together for the same purpose. Uh, there's, there's a joy in that. There's a power in that. Marjorie, I was just thinking, too, about how in Acts chapter 2, the church, uh, you know, as they the early church, they it says in verse 44, now all who believed were together and had all things in common. Mm -hmm. There was togetherness. And and it goes down to uh, verse 46. So continuing daily with one accord Mm -hmm. in the temple. and they had favor with the people, and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. And and you read in other places they prayed in one accord. Mm-hmm. There was a there was a one mindedness that was very very powerful. They were operating under the absolute fresh and immediate revelation and experience of Jesus Christ, having walked with him, having some of them had been his disciples, followed him, listened to the Sermon on the Mount, whatever. So they had a real uh, comprehension of what that meant. They saw him die. They saw him wash their feet. Um, They saw him give that kind of love. And that's where the love and the unity and our rights are, are in Christ Jesus. Now, not in us defending them necessarily, but as we walk in love, it seems like it's kind of like it, this was what they were doing. They were able to share their food. They were able to share their stuff and sell their stuff and give it away and not hold, you know, you know hold some back. Obviously, Ananias and Sapphira did, and we see what happened to them. But I believe that, you know, the unity that Christ is working towards now is to bring us together into the new Jerusalem, the kingdom of God. And that's not where everybody has to. Uh, sell all that they have, but it's where everything is going to, that we need is provided for us by the Lord. But in the meantime, look at what it says again in second Corinthians um, verse 11, five eleven. knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. What we're, we're called to do is reconcile men and women to God, for we do not commend ourselves again to you, but we, but give you opportunity to glory in, on, on our behalf but that you may have something to answer those who glory in appearances and not in heart. So he's saying, don't look at what it looks like. Look at the heart. What is the heart here? It's to love God, love one another. And Paul says, for it is in verse 14, the love of God or the love of Christ that constrains us. Because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. So we're dead. And it's the love of Christ that gave power and, and uh, authority to this compelling unity. It's the love of Christ that compels us to give away our goods or, you know, uh, be part of the body of Christ. It's not about me anymore. It's about to live as Christ, that to love. to const- So Paul is, you know, the, the devil, he coerces us. Christ compels us. The love of Christ constrains us. The devil intimidates and forces and threatens people, you know, to create a kind of a artificial acceptance, globalism and unity. It's, it's very interesting that the devil had no problem setting up uh, exclusivism, the caste systems, the class systems, the, the economic, social, economic distinctions, the, the, the rich, the poor. He had no problem devising all of these divisions but that tactic part of what he's now flipping the tables and he's using the tactic we all have should have the same amount of this and access to that and we're all equal um to he forces to press us all together into some mold unity global it reminds me of the garbage truck that you know the everything is united in the garbage truck. Everything is dumped in there. There's no more distinction. Everything is pressed together and compacted and loses its identity and becomes one big mass hunk of junk. And that's kind of the unity. It's forced. That garbage can is thrown in there and that stuff is forced, pressed. There is, uh, there's no tolerance. There's everything, everything is pressed together. And there's, there's, that's kind of what the devil's description of unity, but that's not the unity uh, the spirit of God brings. 
that forced unity, that, uh, you know, coercion and consequences versus well, there, the constraining of Jesus. Right. There are two aspects of this. There's, there's uh, exclusivism that can bring unity, but it also brings separation. separation. What I mean by that is exclusivism means like, okay, we're the only ones right. Everybody else is wrong. And you get ingrown because of your own distinctive opinions and policies or uh, misinterpretations often of Scripture. We're the only ones right. Everybody else is wrong. If you're not part of our church, you're not part of our denomination, you're way off the mark. Mm-hmm. The other part a- aspect of this that we see, I think, most pervasive, more pervasively today is that this inclusivism where we just include everything. You know, uh, we include everything, Catholicism, Islam, everything just is all mooshed together. We've had this going on since the 60s and and actually way before that. But this uh, ecumenical movement, which is, you know, talks about everybody, all these different churches, regardless of doctrine, uh, regardless of uh, practice, we're Mm -hmm. just going to include them and we're going to say this is all okay. We've got room. It's like a pizza. There's sausage. There's pepperoni. There's and it's a all this stuff. All, we got all these toppings, but it's still all one pizza. Mm-hmm. But the the point comes where there are, there are times when there are so many unscriptural doctrines, policies, and practices that that's where we have to draw the line and say, listen, we will not go on with this. Well, that's right. And I and I the again going back to the foundation foundation for our unity is our death in Christ being part of the fellowship of his suffering part of the you know partaking with his death with him and his death on the cross so it is no longer I who live but Christ that lives me and then the law that brings us together is the law that constrains us is the law of love which creates true heartfelt unity and peace anything else brings um, you know hopelessness and despair the love of Christ brings that kind of of you know, you're loved. You're not judged. People uh, don't know what to do with that idea of judging either, because there's a there's a twisted concept. Judging is not the same as discerning. Discerning is observing, and observing things. That, and again, it brings me back to the thought where Jesus, when he was talking about the end days, the very very first uh, warning he said was, "Do not be deceived. In those days, in the last days, many will come in my name, saying." Uh, or saying, I'm the Christ, or the Christ is over there, here, there, wherever, go go chase after him. And you see now, even now, there's many who say he's over here, unity's over here, Christ is moving here, the Spirit of God's in that place, blah, blah, blah. And so we run around trying to seek for what we already have. And And notice, this has always been Satan's trick, from the garden from Eve on, always to get you to grab for something, thinking you don't have it, trying to get us to buy into something we already have, we have the unity of the spirit already in us because we're in Christ and he's united with us. He's united with himself. And it's not something we do. It's something we be. We are united in Christ. It's not something you have to do to force a unity, make everybody feel comfortable. Nobody's judged. Everybody can do what they want to do. Um, that's not the point because the point is that some of the people are doing what they want to do and we're letting them do that. And we're saying nothing. Those people are in dire jeopardy of losing their salvation. Why did, why would he say in Corinthians, he, he, he says, the terror of the Lord persuades me to persuade men, to pers- persuade them to what? To, to, to be conformed to each other, to be conformed to the devil's plan, or to be conformed to Jesus Christ. And however that looks, we are very different in our conformities to Jesus Christ. Some of us um, have this gift, like you said, some of that gift, some you know, are burdened with this, some want to go do that. It's not like we lose our identity, It's but you know, without my whole body working together. What is my liver? Who cares? My liver has no life without the rest of my body. And that's kind of what the body of Christ is like. Um, my eyeballs cannot function on their own. If they're separated from the rest of my body, uh, you might as well use them to play a game of marbles. It's not good. It's not going to work. We read in the Old Testament with you know Israel as they came out of Egypt, they were called to be a distinct separate people. But what happened is when they came into the promised land, there were all these pagan peoples, right. and religions and influences, and God told them just, just you got to wipe these people out because they were so, they were so far gone spiritually, 
There was no redemption other than just, just wiping him out physically. But what one of the things that happened, and it happened over and over again. You read it through the Old Testament. Um, Numbers 25, 2, and 3, they invited the people, that is, these pagans invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods. Mm-hmm. And the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel was joined to Baal or Baal Mm -hmm. of Peor. And the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel. So there were all these Baal gods. Mm -hmm. There were many different versions of these Baal gods. Baal means master. So they were serving another master. And Jesus said, no man can serve two masters. Mm -hmm. So another place it says, in uh, Judges, I believe it is, chapter 2, where it talks about that they served the Lord, they served, they feared the Lord, mm-hmm. but they worshiped these pagan gods. Mm-hmm. And they became crazy, divided. They're spiritual schizophrenics. Mm-hmm. And we have a lot of that going on today. What's well, interesting how that Satan seduced the people and the place of unity, the place it's you know, where intimacy, unity comes together, we see it first in the man and the woman. They came together as one, and there was that place of intimacy, unity, which in out of that unity came the creation of the offspring. So we see the uh, putting, you know, what's it? Um, every sin is against something, but this man who sins against his own body. He uh-huh. commits adultery, you're sinning yeah. against your own body. Okay. Sexual sin. So the sin sexual sins is body. one of the things Satan used here to get them to to get unequally yoked together, to come together uh, in an unholy union with those other, with the pagan women or the pagan men or whatever they did. And the second way he got them to agree more subtly, but it seems more innocent is to eat the food often offered to the pagans, to the gods, to the, to the uh, idols. Because once you offer, you're eating that you're participating. Jesus gave us the communion of his body and blood, the remembrance of that as a way to participate with him and remember also. And so when you eat food, it participates with you. You participate with it. It becomes you. That jelly donut becomes part of who you are. And now you're trying to remove it from your belly, (laughs) but it's too much a part of you and it becomes a problem. So what, so the participating through eating food and agreeing, see whatever you participate with, whatever you, whether you take it in through your ear gates, your eye gates, your mouth gate, whatever you do, your, uh, or sexually, you are entering into a fellowship or a union with a thing that is set up. As, if it's not from God, it's set up to destroy you. He says in Second uh, Corinthians, he's talking about beholding. Behold, now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. We give no offense in anything that our ministry may not be blamed. Well, there's always two sides to choose, the coin of choose. And the other side is sometimes we have to do like Peter did and say, you know what? I'm not going to serve you. It doesn't matter what you say. I'm going to keep preaching in the name of Jesus Christ and laying hands on people and healing them. And I'm sure he was offending a lot of people. Obviously, he was offending them because they killed him. So there's, there's, please, people, don't just take one side of this. It's the, there's an integration of the truth. It's not balance. It's integration. And he says in verse 14 of Second Corinthians 6, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness and what communion has light with darkness? Back in the story, Jerry, that you were reading, uh, the enemy was trying to corrupt the people of God by getting them to agree to come out from among the, the, the separation and participate with them, have a party with them, eat with them, drink with them, sleep with them. And so they broke down that, that separateness, that distinctiveness, that protection and they, they invited the enemy into their very midst, or they went into uh, sup with them. And so when we're unequally yoked together, um, Jesus, he ate with sinners. But they weren't at that meal offering that food to an idol. They were offering it to Jesus. And Jesus was, he delighted to eat with sinners. You can eat with sinners, and that doesn't mean that you, you know, um, have sinned in any way. The situation is you're going to, a situation where they, like here in the Old Testament, they were offering these things as part of their rituals um, to demons, then you have agreed with what's behind the ritual, which is the demon. So what fellowship, peace, 
and goodness and light and love and truth and God with the devil. See, see, God knows how subtle the devil is. I really believe he knew that the devil was going to pull all this at the very end to make lots of confusion, get people very confused. This is where we're at. There's so much confusion that people don't know because they don't know the Bible and they don't know how to discern or separate it out. They don't know where to stand, what to say, what to do. And so they're, you know, we can't separate out being from doing. It's not that hard. You have children. You can separate out your child from what they do. You still love your child, but you don't promote promote or agree with everything that they try to do or want to do. You don't bless it. And same with God in us. And the same with uh, our, our, our members of our family. You love them, but maybe you're not agreeing right now with that they're going to do something that's totally contrary to the word of God. You, you, are, you don't have to apologize because you feel like uh, you're hurting them or judging them. You're not judging them. God judges at the end. The devil is judging us now with the law and with guilt, etc., to bring consequences that we perceive to be coming from God. God will judge us. His day, the judgment of the Lord, that great day, the day of, the, of God judging us is to come. It's, it's soon to come. And because of that day, we persuade men. Because with the terror of the Lord, we, we persuade men. And so what we want to do is understand that though these agreements are very subtle, well, it's no big deal. You know, I just, uh, I just hang out with them. I'll just, it's, you got to have God's wisdom to know what time and what to do because, Time to cast stones. There's a time to pick up stones. There's a time to to live. There's a time to die. What uh, Paul writes again, First Corinthians ten, it says, "The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we, though many, are one bread and one body. For we all partake of that one bread." Referring to Jesus mm-hmm. as the bread of life, mm-hmm. um, and then he talks about. Um, but he says in verse 21 of 1 Corinthians 10, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and the table of demons. So there's a distinction that God is wanting to keep here that oftentimes we we cross the line on that one in our day. But I don't think we realize, and, and this is a very good scripture to, to uh, kind of show that, that for everything God has, Satan has a counterfeit. Satan has a substitute. Satan has, uh, he's, you know, a lookalike. And so what happens is when we get set up in a position where we don't think fast enough, we don't discern deep enough, we can easily get pulled into an agreement with something that looks like God because it's got some of God trappings on it. It's got, they, they sing praise worship music. They, they, they have a pulpit. They, there's, by the way, I don't know where pulpits are in the Bible, but anyway, um, they read the Bible or they, they, they maybe refer back to the Bible, or they put a verse up on the, sc- on the screen. Um, and so it looks like church. We use words that we're used to, God uses, like love and peace and grace and da-da-da. But the devil can use all of those same words, and he does, to create an illusion and to draw us into agreeing with a counterfeit. It's, it, and so in the end days... We must discern the root. You have to go back to the root of something. You can't go with an appearance. Jesus said, don't judge by appearance. Judge by the truth, by the spirit of God. Jumping back a little bit, you know, where you read in, in, in 2 Corinthians 6, 6 about uh, don't be yoked together, unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Mm-hmm. So there's a, um, that goes back to the scripture in, in, um, in numbers where it talks about uh, actually Deuteronomy 22:10 he said don't plow with an ox and a donkey together mm-hmm. don't put them in the same yoke to do a, a one job why was that because they're two different natures mm-hmm. two different personalities <laughs> two different pulling ability that sort of thing so when you talk about unequally yoked, you can talk about a a believer marrying an unbeliever, that sort of thing. There's other things too where it's it talks about what uh, part has Christ with Belial or the devil in Second mm-hmm. Corinthians six uh, fifteen, or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? What agreement 
as the temple of God with idols, for you are the temple of the living God. That's interesting where he says, um, you are the temple of the living God. What agreement does the temple of God, that would be you. That would be your body, your mind, your heart, your soul, your spirit. When, when we put things in that temple, when that temple is corrupted or when the things living in that temple are dwelling and manifesting or controlling that temple that are not of God, the, I, God's heart is that the temple be cleansed and sanctified, that this stuff be removed from the temple. And that's the power and the job of the Holy Spirit. But the thing is, um, agreement, notice how he says agreement. I think it all goes back to simply, what are you agreeing with? We cannot make the world clean or safe or united or holy or, or anything. All we can do is make the choices that God has asked us, given us freedom to make according to his word for ourselves. And that's the agreements we make. And the agreements can be made through participating in something through uh, verbally, uh, through words, vows, actions. Um, it can also be just symbolically through the um, putting on of things, wearing things, um, symbolic dedications like they do with Freemasonry. Um, they go through the rituals of agreement. Um, even wearing a wedding ring is, an, is, a, is a symbol of an agreement that you mm-hmm. made. And so, um, you know, when you're wearing stuff with skulls on it, T-shirts with skulls on it and handbags with, with heads and crossbones on it, uh, you are asked, if you have said death, I invite you, but you're welcome here. You're, you put out a welcome mat or something like that. And you probably don't even know that because it's the fad. You know, you can, you don't, but fortunately not everything out there has a skull on it. So you can, sure, you can find something that you can wear that's pretty <laughs> safe. Well, what, what it gets <laughs> down to is it's, it's participation. Right. What are, what are we participating in? Now, in other words, if you look at Jesus, he was he was accused a wonderful accusation by the way yeah. accused of being a friend of public sinners well he came to save sinners he says mm-hmm. those that uh, the doctor goes to those who are sick you know he says I am I've not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance so he was participating with their meal in their home in their life in their culture but he was not sinning with them. He was not participating in their sin. He was there to to reach them mm-hmm. where they were and, and to bring them into the kingdom of God. Well, you know, and again, um, deceive, deception, that's the end game for the enemy, deception and destruction. Uh, but going back again into the word of God, which I really, really encourage, we encourage you all to read it for yourself. He says, and again, 2 Corinthians 5, going back to the bottom line, is we're going to have to all appear individually before the judgment seat of Christ. That day cannot be avoided. There's nothing you can do to buy your way out of that day or beg your way out of that day or skip that day or deny that day. It doesn't matter what you do. It's going to happen. And it says, um, uh, so he's saying in verse 14, but it is the love of Christ that constrains us. We already talked about that because we judge thus. This is what we're judging, that if one died for all, then all are dead. You know, if you participate in that, the judgment is correct, that you are no longer, he says, goes on, he says, and he died for all. He died for all of us, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Paul says in Galatians um, I have been crucified with Christ, uh, Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Nevertheless, I live, yet it is not now I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the, the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. So there's a whole transformation that comes to the believer that allows us, qualifies us to be joint heirs with Jesus Christ. And he's, we don't have to... Um, go into some forced, contrived unity to prove our love for people. Actually, you may end up proving your love for them by laying it down for them in your life. So verse 16, now therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known, we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. In other words, he, we no longer look at you according to the flesh, what color you are, what race you are, you know, what socioeconomic status you are that's nothing that that you are a soul you are loved by god you are 
uh, created by God to be in fellowship with him, that's how we see you. And whether you're, you don't, can't ha- haven't yet figured out if you're a male or a female, uh, it says very clearly in Genesis he made them male and female. But now we've got some who can't decide whether they want to be a man or a woman or both. And so now the mode, the, the, the most popular and safest position is the trans, you know, transgender. So we can be this or that, either or, or if later on we decide we want to be part of a robot or, you know, move into more of a, uh, a singular singularity, immortality mode, we can also have, you know, mechanical parts and computerized blood systems or whatever, you know, but all that is ridiculous. It's so contrived. It's so unnatural. It is so demonic. And I guess the most important thing I I can say is we have to understand that there is a war between God and Satan. And if you don't put the devil in the equation, none of this makes any sense because God looks like he's initiating everything. He is not initiating everything. You have initiated some of the things yourself. You've set in motion things you've got going in your life because of choices you made. Now, those choices were uh, patterns that were already there, predispositions, that were already there given, set in place by the agreements that your people, your ancestors have made. And those generational patterns of demonic uh, judgment and lifestyle come down the bloodlines, come down through your DNA. And that doesn't mean, you know, you're to blame for that or you're blaming them for that. You're blaming, we're going to blame the enemy. But if you don't have an enemy to put in the equation, then it's going to be your fault or your mother's fault or somebody else's fault. And then you will be judging. So let's just not do that. Let's judge the enemy and know that this is a war. But those judgments that we have been permitted to initiate things based on our choices, based on the deceptions that we have fallen for, based on the liar who's told the lie to deceive us and get us to make that choice. So we've got those. And the enemy initiates things. God, most of the time, he's, he's letting this thing run. He's intervening, protecting uh, drawing us to himself, working in the midst of a, horrib- a horrific uh, set of handicaps to draw us into the fullness of his love and peace. Uh, and that's what he, we need to, to know is about is coming to Jesus is really surrendering, surrendering the fight, surrendering your judgments, your ideas, your reasoning, your experiences to the truth of what God says and trusting him. That's what salvation really is, is trusting him to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Some people have just not yet come to that conclusion that I cannot save myself. Or the other conclusion is I'm not worth saving anyway, so who cares? We know that we are loved by God because God says he loves us. Now, Jesus, in getting back to John 17, uh, he dealt with this head on regarding the separation and how this works. Um, he, he said, I didn't pray. Well, it's verse 14 through 19. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world. We're not of this present evil world system, Mm -hmm. even though we're in it, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. Yeah. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them. In other words, set, set them apart. Make them holy by what? Your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their, sake, for their sakes, I sanctify myself. I set myself apart, not from other people, but I set myself apart to, to God, to the Father, that they also may be sanctified by the truth. And then, you know, Second Corinthians six seventeen. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. So we're we're in the world, not of the world. We're here to mm-hmm. be light, to mm-hmm. be salt. The, the the salt has to to give savor to something. Has to make contact. The light to to make a difference. The light shines where there is darkness. I think the problem is in Second Corinthians five seventeen. You just said six seventeen. I'm reading five seventeen. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I, I believe our problem is um, 
that we don't know that we're new. We don't know we're distinct. We don't know we've been born again. We don't know that we are not of this world. We're not quite sure of that because we're still here. We're still suffering a lot of the same calamities and troubles and setbacks and situations that are of the people of the world. So we still think we're in the world of the world, but we're new creatures in Christ. And if you don't see yourself as distinct, as redeemed, as part of the body of Christ, reconciled to him through Jesus Christ, and then given that ministry of reconciliation um, to call others to be set free. If we don't see ourselves as ambassadors for Christ, as we don't see ourselves as pleading for their souls, we implore God for them and, and to be reconciled to God. Um, if we don't see ourselves like that, then when we, then when we come to 617, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord, do not touch the unclean thing. We won't see it as necessary because we won't see ourselves as anything different than or distinct from what we're already in or involved in. You, you know, you may be in a church situation or a political situation or a marriage situation or a, a work situation, a job situation where you're being called to compromise, you're being called to shut your mouth and put up with it or, or even participate, you know, uh, actively participate in something that is really contrary to your heart and really compromising uh, your, your, your being, compromising you, your sense of what is right and what is wrong. And this is what the Lord is saying. He's saying from those things come out. You don't have to stay there. Uh, we are going to be so distinct that at some point we, everything else will be identified uh, as what we are not. You know, like, for example, it, by the time we get done with this, there's only going to be one group of people that's going to be distinctly different from everything else out there that has not complied, that has not uh, uh, gone along with or, com- uh, you know, been part of the devil's plot and plan. And that would be us, those who follow Jesus Christ and uh we will be the ones who will, we don't, we're not into globalism. We're not into the devil's kingdom coming. We're into the Lord's kingdom coming. And so we're going to be very distinct. But the problem is you want to be in that very distinct group at the end, which by the, uh, you'll, they'll know your love, you're my disciples by the love. We're also going to be known as the ones who are persecuted for righteousness sake. And so when you're in a church situation that now looks okay, tolerable, I can still, you know, at least half of what the preacher is preaching is okay. I mean, sort of. And I can go along with it because it's, it's not real offensive yet. We're, we're still kind of, you know, the, the frog could have saved his life if he had just jumped out of the kettle of water noticing that the kettle was not his normal pond situation. But he didn't. Because, you know, well, there's water here. It's nice and comfortable. It's warm. I'll, I'll put it off. I can do it later. And little by little, that church situation or that job situation or that whatever situation is, is intended only for one reason, and that's to cook you. But it's, it, the devil turns up the heat very subtly. He's actually turning it up kind of fast right now, which is kind of good because well, people it's jump up out of that kettle. Fast. It's being but turned up very fast. Up till now, it's been very you know, comfortable, comfortable is a evil word. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, God didn't say he brings, he, he, uh, he died to bring us comfort. Uh, he died to bring us peace and um, persecution with, with blessings, with well, rewards. It gets, it gets down to also for, you know, as far as if you're involved in a, in a church situation, um, what, what, what you really look at it, you know, does, is what, is going on in your church? Does that is that according to the to the Bible to the New Testament? Mm-hmm. Um, do you even know what the New Testament says about how the church is to operate? A lot of people, you know, the, the matters. I think of uh, my, my uh, parents that were part of a church denomination for many, 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 many years, and they saw it go from Bible believing preaching to just strung out where you know uh boring irrelevant well not only boring irrelevant but where there's the in, endorsement of uh gay marriage and so forth and and it happened with the uh the the evangelical lutheran church of america where uh, there was a separation there were lutheran congregations that said we cannot endorse uh, homosexual or sodomite marriage any longer. Mm-hmm. So we are separating. So there's been a separation. This is how denominations have formed. There's been, there's always been, there's been corruption and then there's been separation. Mm-hmm. So uh, and, and there's a lot of the separation has been just like with the reformation mm-hmm. with Martin Luther and so forth. 
there was so much corruption in the Catholic Church that there was it had gotten so far away from mm-hmm. removed from the Scripture, there had to be a separation. And it's it's the same thing today. It's just a lot of people stay in a church because of maybe family tradition. You know, I was mm-hmm. raised this way and my family was just raised this way and I'll get in trouble with my family if I leave. Or yeah. some people stay in churches because of the entertainment factor. The worship is so good. The lights are so good. The seats are so good. Mm-hmm. Uh, the preacher is, you know, looks good. And whether he wears a tie or ratty jeans or whatever it is, uh, maybe we have friendships there. We have friends. Well, all our friends are there. And what would they think if we leave? And it's a, a fear of man, but what, what are you, you putting up with? You know, yeah. would, would you go, would you keep going back to a restaurant that's dirty and serves you bad food every time you're there? Probably you're going to go find someplace else. But that, yet, yet people do that with churches. They will, they will stay there for the rest of their life and then probably die there, you know, not only spiritually but physically. I think it's because people don't really know who they are or Jesus Christ. And it's, we're so, we learn to tolerate things. We learn to put up with things. Gradually things get worse. Gradually we learn to live with things less, uh, less okay um, the house gets more messy. We're using, we, we're, we learn to live with things, put up with things. But the problem is when you're putting up with something like the authority, you're coming in under the authority of that man or woman of God. And if they've opened doors, then you're actually indirectly coming into an agreement that you've submitted to. I mean, I know people whose pastors have, I mean, uh, done very, uh, uh, you know, things that, are, are really obviously very bad, you know, and yet they were your spiritual head. They were the one who married you. They were the one who did marriage counseling or baptized your child or whatever. And, and not that we baptize children, but you see, we, we, we let these people touch us spiritually and they're vile. And the Bible says, I, you know, in many places, Ezekiel take, separate the vile from the unclean, the unholy from the holy, because God is holy. And, his Holy Spirit in us, his job is to make us holy. Not that we have to be perfect, not that we have to be separatists and exclusive and I can't touch you and I can't sit by you because your germs are going to rub off of me. No, no, no. It, internally, internally, you're strong, you're secure in Christ, you know who you are, and then you can be like Jesus and go out there and not be affected by the, the prostitutes and the sodomites and the, and the beggars and the this and that. You can love them. And that's the whole point, to be able to be strong enough in who you are to really love them. They want us to love them, but they define our loving them as our condoning their bad behavior. That's not love. Love, I love you enough to tell you the truth. I love you enough to say whatever it is that you that will really set you free. And it's not according to my gospel. It's not according to my rules. I did not write the book. And so, and, but again, to separate, to come out, from among your church people or whatever, like you said, honey, a lot of people don't know where to go and there's going to be some persecution. And also sometimes there people are, there's a spiritual thing called spiritual abuse where people are controlled by a spirit of fear that if they leave, they're going to be backslidden or they're going to be seen as out of the will of God, or they're going to be judged by their own people. So they just, you know, some of them kind of just melt away. I think you just kind of stop going. You just kind of try to, slink away kind of disappear so that you don't have to go there anywhere but you still don't know then you're kind of hanging out there where are you going who's your fellowship with um so that vulnerability creates another vulnerability so now what are you going to do where are you going to feast where are you going to eat where are you going to fellowship where are you going to find strength because the bible says to forsake not the assembling of yourselves together and so much as you see the day approaching so all of these things um it's kind of like serious it's serious. We're in a we number one. We're in a huge time of confusion. Well, yeah, it's confusion. I mean, I'm just reading about the, uh, you know, example of the United Methodist Church uh, having a commission now to um, discuss the ordaining of openly homosexuals as ministers. Mm-hmm. So you know they have the commission, and then a couple of years it'll it'll be the same way. It's not that they necessarily don't have them today, but. And then there was a, a, a large gathering of the Presbyterian, a major Presbyterian organization in the United States, 
had a, a man that uh, led the group, this national group uh, of ministers, uh, in a prayer to Allah. Mm-hmm. So we've got all kinds of things well, going think that, on I like think this. this. True is, colors this, are coming true out. True colors are coming out. But you have to recognize what the process is that's bringing out these true colors. And God, bottom line, our unity is in Jesus Christ, in his cross, in his death. We died with him to live as Christ. We are not our own. We're bought with a price. The commandments are now love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love is the commandment. Love is, does not say you have to permit or endorse everything that they want you to, to acknowledge or, or you know, raise your hand and, and give a, a yes to or vote for. It is loving them enough to tell them the truth, even at, even at your own expense. I love you enough to tell you the truth, even though my love for you may turn you against me. It may separate our friendship, whatever. I love you. That, and, and the other thing that God gave us is the power of forgiveness. And he says the offenses are going to come. People are going to be set up in opposition to each other. That's what the devil does. And so God wants us to, to give that a forgiveness, releasing the crimes, the confusion over to the high court of heaven and letting God be the judge. Well, Jesus said, as he prayed in John 17, he says, the world is going to hate you. Mm-hmm. Marvel not. Don't, don't be dismayed. Don't, don't be surprised that you get the hatred of the world. And we can see worldwide the, the venom of hatred that is coming against. It's, it's, subtly, it's, 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 it's been subtle, and now it's becoming more and more overt, the opposition to Christians. I mean, Christians got blamed. For everything, but for the shooting at the uh, Pulse nightclub in Orlando a couple of weeks ago, I doubt if there's you know, even any Christians. Or there. some people believe the NRA. Some people believe Christians. It's like Hitler blamed the Jews for the problems that were going on. Uh, the, the Nero blamed the Christians for all kinds of things, and so it's it's a twisted, perverted thing. But as the world becomes, the world system becomes more uh, globalized. And, and perverted mm-hmm. and vile, uh, so the the hatred towards true believers is going to uh, is going to be increasing. You said there there'll be a great need for forgiveness, and there's there's going to be a price to pay. The true colors are coming out. Uh, you just look around at, at national mm-hmm. uh, unity, so-called gatherings, mm-hmm. uh, and those that participate with these things where the Pope is speaking and they're calling the Pope his holiness and, and even, even evangelicals and, uh, you know, other Pentecost charismatic, mm-hmm. more Bible people are, are, are yielding more and more to the influence of the Pope who is, is of the spirit of Antichrist. So well, that reminds me, brings up the word Antichrist. You know, Antichrist means against Christ or coming in the guise in of, of Christ, Christ yeah. the guy disguised as Christ. And this makes me to know if there, if Satan has concocted an Antichrist, I mean, in his end game, end game, he's got an Antichrist on the board, on the, on the board playing, uh, the, that Satan sees himself as wants to take the place of Christ. He wants to gather up a following, a group, uh, a, a body of believers, a church of followers like Jesus has. And so the Antichrist is going to come disguised as Jesus Christ to destroy, to destroy or, or, or deceive or gather away from Jesus his followers to put them in Satan's body, uh, ecclesiastical body of believers, the, the global one world church. There is a global one world economy. There's a global one world government, and there's a global one world uh, religious system. And that religious system is headed by the antichrist or the false prophet. So again, discerning through the word of God and asking God to show you where you're to be. Each one of us is guided by the individual Holy Spirit who leads us in the way that we were to go. Um, I had an analogy as I was thinking about all this this morning, and I know this is probably a late place to put it, but 
um, you know, we're confusing our we're, our behavior with our being and have to love everybody and judge nobody so there will be nobody to stand to, to, to stand their ground. Nobody's going to want to stand for the truth anymore because it's too dangerous. It's too brings draws too much fire. Um, so there's nobody wants to stand for the truth or tell the truth. Um, it's, it reminds me of being like corralled into Satan's million head cattle lot. You know, he's got these big cattle lots over there and wherever, North, South Dakota, Montana, wherever. And you, you're there, the cattle are there to be fattened up for slaughter. Um, but who, which one of those cows would ever leave that pen of comfort and plenty of food and water and whatever they might need right now to leave that safety of that pen, that corral, and not realizing that they're all being headed to ship to slaughter, which cow would break out of there, break out of that fence, and go out and find some real pastures of freedom that are probably just right outside the fence line? Nobody. Who would think of that kind of wisdom or foresight? You know, and yet we're like that. We don't want to be sitting ducks. We don't want to be corralled. We're not one of Satan's. We're not going to be in the pen, staying in there till he gets time to get the truck over, ship us off to cut our head off. We are. Way in a in a God way in a powerful authority way. Jesus stood his ground. He told the truth. He he demonstrated his power by the miracles that he did. And he also said to us in Daniel that those who know their God in the last days would do exploits. And I believe that's the only thing that's going to distinguish us from whatever looks like us out there. That's not us. And don't be deceived. But whether it's a famous preacher or a famous singing group or the Pope or something like that. Yeah. If there's endorsement by those, don't get sucked into that mm-hmm. because true colors are coming out. Um, you know, I, I'm mentioning about, I'll just mention this at the end, at the risk of getting blasted. Two, uh, <laughs> I'm not going to bless you, honey, because I already know what you're going to say. Together 2016, look it up. You've got mm-hmm. famous teachers, preachers, well-respected, coming to Washington, D.C., July 16th on the National Mall, expecting a, a million people, a thousand churches have committed to participate at this point. point. Uh, widely, just I'll just say I'm not going to listen to the names. I could I've got the names right here in front of me, but you can look it you, up. You can look it up yourself. Mm-hmm. And the big deal is going to be the address, the video address of the Pope, mm. the Antichrist himself. And, and Christians are excited that the Pope is going to be uh, Christians are excited that these one who is a one of the leading Antichrist in the world today is going to speak to them. And we're going to give heed and we're going to participate in that. I'm not condemning each one that's there, mm-hmm. but I'm saying that's a dangerous. thing. Well, everyone in the world right now has will give an account to God and has a part to play. Uh, whether he's the president, the pope, uh, the priest, uh, the the poet, it doesn't matter. The, pulp, well, the, the pauper. <laughs> it doesn't matter. We're all going to give an account to the Lord God, and I'm not the judge of that. And and But we're saying you have wisdom, the wisdom of God, because we need to know the terror of the Lord. And that doesn't mean that he's, we're terrified of him. It's the terror of knowing, again, that we must all give an account to God. We have to all stand before the judgment seat. And this doesn't need to be a bad thing. It doesn't need to be a scary, terrible, dreadful thing at all, at all, at all, not at all, because God can be with us in us. We are in him. He is in us. It can be one with him in that. And we don't have to be afraid to die. We don't have to be because we are already dead. Technically died with Christ. So now live the born. You're born again, live. You're not going to die again. Eternity's already started. The only dis- question left is where are you going to spend it, the majority of it? Because the first couple of years you spend on the planet here, but where are you going to spend eternity? And is any of the stuff you're doing right now, participating in, giving place to, giving passive agreement to, is any of it worth the terror of the Lord or spending eternity in hell? And that doesn't mean that God is wanting you to go to hell or is excited about you going to hell. He's not. He says, God is not willing that any should perish. That's why he gave us Jesus. He doesn't relish, you know, the death of the wicked. He's not into that sort of thing, but he, we're leaving him no choice. So here's the deal. Bottom line is any of what you're doing right now, including being afraid. There are no cowards in heaven. Is any of what you're doing right now 
worth going to hell over. That's the bottom line. It really gets the bottom line is knowing him, mm-hmm. knowing his word, and don't let your desire for unity, so-called unity, or to avoid or persecution, peace, or to avoid persecution, or to be tolerant, uh, keep you. Uh, don't let that draw you into this global demonic cauldron. Cauldron. <laughs> no matter who's talking about it how popular they are, how respected they are, you've got to sniff it out through the Word of God and the Spirit for yourself. Mm-hmm. And don't be deceived. There's a true unity in Christ, but don't get caught up in the false steps to and that, I, to some other unity. And I would say to those of us, as it was said to Esther, you are born for such a time as this. You are here on the planet at this time. God was the one who picked you and placed you right here at the culmination of things, whether it's two years, 20 minutes, or 20 years from now, you are here to do something for God. And I pray right now, Father God, that you, that you would cause your daughter, your son, uh, your child to find out who they are, to know who they are, and to stand for you, Lord God, not to be afraid, not to be ashamed of their youth or their position or their financial status, but to take joy and pride in knowing that we are yours. You belong to us. We're not exclusive. We're not self-righteous. We're grateful, Lord. And we, and the biggest job you've given us to do is to love one another, forgive one another, and tell each other the truth. And so, Lord, I pray that you give boldness to each one of us this week, this day, uh, and bring us forth into the place of great victory in Jesus' name. And for your glory, amen. Amen.